to the word. Let's get to some fun stuff. We're going to go back to our scripture we got lost in a couple weeks ago. Revelations chapter 4. So now that we are running the church by taking polls, Carrie started that whole thing. It It makes it easier. I don't have to pray as much, you know, so that's handy. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But um, because of several people that have expressed interest, starting in January, um, we're going to do an in-depth study on Sundays of the book of Revelation. So that'll be light and fun and airy and joyous. And actually, the, the, the way I read it and the way I teach it, it is a party, man. Because the whole thing's the revelation of Jesus Christ and the fact that we're on the winning team. So it should be fun. Um, So, you know, tell your friends. Maybe there's people that are afraid of that book that want to learn something about it. Revelations chapter 4, though, we've been talking about heaven. Everybody just say heaven. And um, we've all pretty much agreed it's not Cincinnati or Denver. Amen. Amen. But we're talking about the hope of heaven, and we get this awesome glimpse of it in Revelation chapter 4. So we're going to read through this again, and then we're going to go out from here and grab a few things for a few minutes. The Apostle John. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I heard, was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. And around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunders, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne, and take note of this, were four living creatures, full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, Most translations say like an ox, which is actually a little bit more accurate, just for those of you that are into accuracy. The third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him 
who sits on the throne, and they worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Can you say amen? So jumping back to verse 6, he takes note of some angelic beings there in the throne room. Before the throne was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf or like an ox, the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. So let's pray. Father, would you open your word to us, cause us to understand and cause us to apprehend truth. Um, You know what you're doing and exactly why you're doing it. So we just want to cooperate with you. And we pray, Holy Spirit, lead us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are primarily um, Protestant background, there's a very good chance that you haven't heard very much teaching on angels. The reason that most Protestants don't hear a lot of teachings about angels is only because Protestants are so busy not being Catholic. Okay? Um, Historically speaking, and, and we won't derail into this, but historically speaking, most Protestant doctrine, while good, has one usually fatal flaw And that is, anything the Catholics are into, the Protestants were like, how about no? If you're doing it, we're not doing it. And so for an example of that would be cessationist teaching about the Holy Spirit was never really anchored in any scripture. We have no scripture that says God stopped doing miracles. Yet most Protestant churches will tell you God stopped doing miracles. Where did they get it from? Not anywhere in the Bible. Where they got it from was the Catholics still believe God does miracles, and we're not going to be Catholic. Well, the same thing happened with angels. We all know that the Catholic Church very much appreciates in love with and and into angels. They see them everywhere. Tortilla chips, um, you know, burrito wrappers, clouds, whatever. And because of the Catholic Church liking angelic stuff, early Protestants were like, no, we're not talking about that. We just need the Bible and Jesus. And we're not talking about that. That's cool and all, except for angels and God's angelic army play a huge role in the Bible all the way from Genesis to Revelation. And so I'm not anywhere suggesting you need to go to a gift shop and buy an angel and hang it around your neck and rub it when you get out of the shower or anything weird, but it is important to at least understand. And one of the coolest things about going to heaven is our eyes being open to spiritual realities that don't become real when we get there, we just finally see them. 
And this is what comes into focus with what happens to John. There's a door standing open. Come up here. He says, I see a throne. Did the throne start being there when he got there? No. The throne of God's been there from the beginning, but he finally gets to see it, right? One of your hopes ought to be, hey, I don't know how long I'm going to toil upon this earth, but to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and I'm going to see his throne, and I'm going to see the one sitting upon the throne, and I'm going to see the crystal sea. It won't just be that I read about it. I'll be looking at it. Well, one of the other things that comes with this entrance to heaven, and I think it's going to be amazing, is an instant awareness and ability to perceive angelic forces that are around us right now, but we're just too carnal. We just don't pick up on it, right? The scripture teaches angels being very relevant throughout. And so we're gonna just talk about them for a little while. We won't talk about them until they get an ego or anything, but, but we're just gonna calibrate and realize the goodness of God and what he provided with the, with the angels and what they do. So he's immediately drawn, John is, to these four living creatures that are just so bewildering in their appearance and in their action. You go, well, maybe John hit his head. Maybe he's having trouble. Maybe he's dehydrated. But you really won't think that. We're going to look at a couple of scriptures. But Isaiah got invited into the throne room of God one time, and he saw him too. And Ezekiel got invited into the throne room of God one time, and he saw them as well. So this is just the reality of hanging out at God's throne is these four living creatures called seraphim. And the word seraphim literally means burning ones, right? So basically they are in the presence of God so closely they appear to be on fire because God's presence is purifying. Now as we go through the Bible and we talk about this, I'm going to tell you in advance that this cute little European idea that we have that an angel is like a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, good-looking kid with a sheet... No, a thousand times no. There's a couple of times that they've dialed it down to interact with us. Hebrews tells us they can dial it down until you don't know you're interacting with one. But angels in their raw form are glorious and very powerful and stand in the presence of God according to Gabriel when he spoke to Mary, if you remember, or when he spoke rather to John's father. So when he's trying to describe them, he says one has the face of a lion. Um, New King James said the other has the face of a calf. But again, the actual word would really be ox, like the old King James used to say. One had the face of a man and one had the face of an eagle with six wings. The glory of God is so powerful that these perfect angel beings still cover their faces from the glory of the Lord. With two, they cover their feet which is a sign of absolute humility, right? If you remember when the, when the bush was burning, Moses, take off your sandals because you're standing on holy ground, right? These angelic beings have never sinned, and yet they are so aware of the awesome holiness of God, they cover their feet with two of their wings, and with two they fly. And what do they cry out? They cry out about what they're looking at. Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now, their faces are kind of interesting, and we won't, we won't derail into this, but whether you realize it or not, you've got four living creatures with four different faces, and they are re revealing four attributes of Christ. 
They are reflecting attributes of Christ, and it's really kind of fascinating. It's also why there's four Gospels. <laughs> We're not going to get deep, but let's get into it a little bit. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah, which is why one of them is reflecting the face of a lion. The one's reflecting a face of an ox because an ox was a burden bearer. And this is what Jesus has done, is he has borne the burden of our sin. One had the face of a man because according to the book of, of Luke, he came and was the son of man. And one is reflecting the face of an eagle because the eagle reigns over top of everything. And we hear the gospel of John say, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God in the beginning, and nothing was made with Are, are you doing okay? I feel like I'm losing you. It's, 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 an, it's an amazing thing of what they are. And John is struck by this, just staring. Now, I know we are pretty positive we would be cool. I have a feeling what we're actually going to do is fall apart. That's why one of my favorite songs ever written was that guy that wrote, I Can Only Imagine. When he's pointing out, I'd like to think that I'm going to dance and shout and praise, but it's possible I might just fall down like a dead man because that's what people keep doing in the Bible when they see this, right? I'm always suspect. I watched a guy sharing his testimony one time of this great walk around heaven that he got in this book that he wrote about it. And one of the things that troubled me the whole time, and I don't have to judge it, and it's fine, it's his business, it's between him and God, but the whole time he told the story, he was never in awe. And every single person that's ever gotten a glimpse into the heavenly realm is so overwhelmed by it that as I listened to him talk so casually, I thought, dude, I don't know where you went, but I'm not sure it's heaven. Because everybody who even catches a fleeting look at this is overwhelmed by the glory and the grandeur of it. And so there's this angelic host, but it's really interesting. Like I said, as Protestants, we don't talk about angels much. But from this point onward in the book of Revelation, they are specifically announced 67 times in just 22 chapters. Almost every major event we're going to study in the book of Revelation is carried out by an angel. If you look through the book and you read it, it's fascinating because there's a scroll coming up with seven seals. How many remember that? And Jesus is found worthy to break the seals. So we're like, yay, go Jesus. But when he gets to the seventh seal, he breaks the seventh seal and the entire program from that point on is handed over to angels. The seventh seal reveals seven angels with seven trumpets, and they go and they blow. And when the seventh trumpet is sounded by an angel, it reveals seven angels who have seven bowls of wrath that they pour out on the earth. We're going to look at some scripture before we're done today. At the end, Jesus doesn't even waste time with the devil. He sends an angel with a chain to chain up Lucifer and throw him in the pit. Angels play a dominant role in all of this, and yet we almost never even talk about them. Or if we do, we make jokes about them, like I do. If you haven't been around, Buck is my angel. And I'm confident Buck's not the smartest one, but he's loyal. And he's kept me out of many scrapes. But let's look at Genesis 28 for the beginning of all of this. I mean, the beginning beginning is Adam and Eve's sin. And when God doesn't want them to get back in the garden, he stations cherubim there which are a type of angel to keep them out 
But this vision that Jacob has, this dream that he has, is really fascinating because it reveals something about angelic activity that I think it's good to be aware of. Genesis 28 and verse 10. Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And it says, so he came to a certain place and he stayed there all night because the sun had set and he took one of the stones of that place and he put it at his head and he lay down in that place to sleep. And then he dreamed and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Okay, go ahead and just leave that up for a minute, Lisa. So this is Jacob has his dream. And in the dream, God wants him to understand something he's not seeing with his natural eye. That there's this ladder, symbolic, I doubt they need a ladder, right? It's speaking more to just access that they have to come and go. And they're ascending, going up from the earth to heaven, and they're descending, coming out of the heavens and coming to the earth. And this is this vision that God wants us to have and understand about angelic forces. Now, I'm not going to turn to all these scriptures, so you'll just have to focus and let me hit this quick for five minutes, and then we'll go to some other stuff. When we ask the question, why? Why are there angels? Is God just showing off? Are they just extra? Is he just, he was bored, he made them first and went, that's cool, but not that cool, so he made Adam. Like, what's their role in all of this? Well, we're not told a whole lot about why they were created. They are older than us, because there's a reference in Job to the fact that as God began to create, they're called the sons of God, and it says they shouted for joy, and they sang the praises of the Lord while they were watching him make everything that we see. So they're older than us, but one of the things God wanted us to understand is that they're part of his agency. They're part of what he's doing on the earth. Now, why would that be? It matters a lot to gospel-believing people because, like I told you, in Genesis 3.24, when Adam and Eve sinned, they could no longer have access to the garden. Their sin separated them from God. If you've been studying Scripture, you know, for example, Isaiah 59, 1 through 3, the cornerstone of the entire New Testament gospel. For your sin has separated you from the Lord. His arm is not short, but your iniquity have you in a place that he will not reach. Right? Sin separates men from God. We saw an amazing example of this in Exodus 33, and, and my wife referenced it this morning in Bible study. Exodus 33, the people tick God off on the way into the promised land. He's finally just mad. And he tells Moses, fine, I will send an angel to take you in, but I'm not going. Because if I go, I will consume you on the way because of your sin. And Moses goes, time out. No, if you're not going, I'm not going, <laughs> right? Which is like... Again, this is the friendship piece that you want to have with the Lord. There's Moses debating, uh-uh, no. I know you melted the top of this mountain with your presence. I know that lightning comes when you call it, but I'm arguing this point. No, if you're not going, I'm not going. I'd rather die in the wilderness with you than to have the promised land without you. A whole bunch of Americans need to get back to that. 
I'd rather have the presence of God in the desert than to have the blessings of God without the presence of God. And the hucksters have been busy for 40 years peddling the blessing of the Lord to the body of Christ. And people have chased the promised land without the power of God upon their life. And Moses looked and he said, no, if you're not going, I'm not going. I'd rather sit here in the wilderness with you than to just follow your angel. As powerful as that is, notice that the angel was God's solution to the problem, I can't go because of your sin. What did the angel function as? God's emissary on the earth. Your sin separates you from me, but I still love you. So I've made a way. Angels descending and ascending on assignment. If I drew close to you, I'd consume you because you're a rebellious snot. But my problem is I love you. And if I don't protect you, you'll be destroyed. I can't come all the way close because you're in sin. If I back away, you'll be destroyed. So I'll get an angel and assign it to you. Oh, come on. To take care of you until you find me. Because if I... Oh, see... Ascending and descending on assignment. Go. When you read the Old Testament, all you find God doing over and over and over was dispatching the angels to take care of his people. Daniel's thrown in the lion's den. I can't let Daniel get eaten up, but I'm not going to the lion's den myself. I'm holy, so I'll send an angel, and an angel will come and shut the mouth of the lion, and they'll come in the morning and find Daniel reclining on top of the lion, rejoicing in the goodness of the Lord. Why? Because I wasn't about to let my people be destroyed, even though their condition makes it where I can't be as close as I want. So I will send. Mm, I'm preaching better than you're getting. So we see this thing. Let me give you something practical that will help you. So for example, when you pray for your kids and your grandkids that don't know Christ, one of the things you're accessing is the angelic realm. Their sin keeps them from God. Now, I know that's an inconvenient truth in a country that wants to pretend sin doesn't matter, but the fact of the matter is, if sin is unimportant, God owes Jesus an apology. No, sin absolutely keeps, I have a prodigal of my own, sin keeps people from the presence of God. When I begin to pray, oh God, keep her safe till she figures it out, what I'm accessing is the realm of the angels. Angels that go on assignment and stand there in the gap. You're so far from God, he can't, but I'll be here. One of the things that's going to happen when we turn in our reports in heaven is we're going to find out all the times they kept us alive. All the times that they were the barrier between us and the devil. And you thought you made it because you knew a couple scriptures and you prayed and you threw anointing oil on your refrigerator and you're going to get to heaven and find out that four guardians were standing in front of you and that's what kept hell at bay. How you doing? 
Hebrews chapter 1 verse 13 lays this out. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Verse 14, powerful. Are they, who's they? The angels. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? So let's leave that up there for a minute. That scripture's got some cool angel facts in it. First of all, everybody say they're spirits. This is why the natural rules don't count. They're spirits. They move when they move. They do what they do. And this is why you never have to worry about being fast. I, I love cowboy theology, you know, and I, I don't, it's fine, I get it, it's cool. But I love it when people be like, don't drive faster than your guardian angel can fly. That's cute and all, but there is no car taking you faster than your angel can move. Spirits. It says also there, sent. Everybody say sent. This means they function on authority. They're not just running around random. They are dispatched by God to take care of stuff. And you need to be glad you have one because he doesn't need sleep. Oh, come on. When you get weary and you cry yourself to sleep, you'd be in a lot of trouble except for there's two wings over top of you. Come on, somebody. God taking care of you while you make this journey. And they don't need sleep. We're very rarely aware of their presence, but they're amazing. My wife had a cool encounter one time where she woke up with a sensation of the glory of God on her face and just caught the glimpse of her angel touching her mouth, and it vanished away. Because they're, because they're there, and we're wandering around just clueless. I sure hope I can make it through your test, Lord. And Buck's beside me like, bro, I'm not even that smart and I know you can make it. Come on, you are not alone. You've got the Holy Spirit in you, but for all this natural stuff going on around you, you've got me. I will straighten my helmet and show up. You don't make it through car accidents because you're cool. You weren't the one that didn't get electrocuted when you were working on the totally energized circuit because you're cool. No, you've got somebody taking care of you. Sent to minister to who? Those that inherit salvation. They are God's commitment to humanity. You are a mess and you need a lot of help. So I'm sending them. And I know sometimes they must go like, really? Again with this, wow. I get them out of this problem all the time. When we look in the scriptures again, we see just amazing examples all the way through. I, I got ahead of myself. I mentioned Daniel and the angel shutting the lion's mouth. You see the same thing happening this side of the cross. Acts chapter 5 tells us it was an angel that got the apostles out of prison. States it plainly, walked in and was like, it's not time for you to be in jail yet, so let me get this door for you. People get worried about going to jail, but everybody in the Bible who went to jail saw an angel, so maybe that's a trade-off. I don't know. And we have to understand that when we pass from this life to the next, one of the coolest parts is going to be that rather than taking a bunch of this stuff by faith, we're going to see this. This is going to be open to us and apparent. 
Now, I mentioned this a minute ago. Let's look at Isaiah's encounter, Isaiah chapter 6. He sees the throne room in the Old Testament with a remarkable similarity to John's vision in the New Testament because it's the same place, right? That's not deep. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and above it stood seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. So you want to send somebody to do something hard? Because Isaiah was destined to preach to people who were not going to repent. This is a piece of biblical history that the, that the hucksters ignore. God tells Isaiah from the beginning, I'm sending you with full anointing to prophesy to these people and they are not going to listen to you. How do you have the endurance for that task? You gotta have a revelation that drives you. So he gives Isaiah this wonderful blessing to see the throne room of heaven. To peer on the, on the, on the, on the realities of the Trinity. Who will go for us to see these mighty angels crying out? And it's not quiet. When they yell, he said, the doorpost starts shaking over the glory of the Lord. See, that's the kind of thing that can keep you. Fifteen years later, you're preaching to the Israelites and none of them care what you have to say because they are determined to be idolatrous and sinful. How does Isaiah stay faithful? Because he's driven by a revelation of the throne room of the God who called him. And from that place he knows, I'm going to be faithful to him because when this is over, I will return there and I will not walk across that threshold and be ashamed that I lost my faith on this planet. Seraphim crying out. I mean, they're, they, 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 they are just one rank, just so you know, of an army of angels. Daniel saw, uh, we won't turn to it or look at it, but in Daniel chapter 7, he saw an amazing vision of the throne room of God, and he said that there was actually a river of fire flowing out from underneath God's throne, which how awesome is that? But then he said, I saw the angelic host 10,000 times 10,000. Angels crying out to the Ancient of Days. It makes Jesus' comments make sense, doesn't it? Matthew 26, 53. Let me wrap this up. In trouble, supposedly in the garden, Peter's going to defend him. 
I've got my butter knife. You're not taking our guy. And look at the response of Jesus. Do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? To put this mismatch in perspective, assuming Jesus was using a Roman thing, a legion being 6,000, 12 legions being 72,000 angels, just assuming he's being simple about it. Peter, you've got your sword out. Are you not understanding that I could call 72,000 angels to this spot with a word? Now, For those of you that don't read your Old Testament a lot to find the cool stuff hiding in there, for your homework, read the 19th chapter of 2 Kings and you'll find an evidence where God sent one and he killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. One. So Jesus is trying to tell Peter, I'm not in trouble. At a moment, I could call what I need. I'm going to try to not sideline into this, but the more we study and the more we look, the more mystified I am by the staggering arrogance of ridiculous Americans who think they can thumb their nose at God and get away with it in the end. We are breathing air because he allows it. If he wanted to with a word... He could wipe this out. Well, he can't because he promised George Washington, you count on that if you want to. Our sin is piling to the rafters. We kill thousands of innocent people per day in the name of convenience. We celebrate every perverse lifestyle that we can possibly invent. If God was just, he could wipe the whole place with less than one legion. And Jesus said, I could call 12 here just on a whim. They're mighty and they're powerful. Revelations chapter 5, verse 11. We'll spend the last remaining minute in the book of Revelation. I know you guys love that book so much. Revelations chapter 5, as he's wandering around, like I told you, angels play a very prominent role in everything John sees in Revelation he saw what Daniel saw, 5 verse 11. I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. 10,000 times 10,000 with a few extra thousands. This is why when you get discouraged about the earth, when you get bummed about the politics, when you just despair over inflation, your angel is like, bro, really? The end of this fight is not even in question. Lucifer's only active right now because he's allowed to be. 
There's no tug of war going on between God and the devil and God's in heaven sweating it out. I sure hope I can gather enough strength to deal with him in the end. No. We're so on the winning team that it's basically rigged and completely unfair. 10,000 times 10,000 plus thousands of thousands. That's pretty cool. As I kept reading, though, occasionally in Revelation, certain angels are extra cool and stand out from the crowd. Look at this guy in Revelations 10. This guy's cool. I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head, and his face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. Now, are you seeing this? This guy's amazing. And John sees this, and look what he does. He had a little book open in his hand. He sets his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. Now, how many of you know that's super cool? Right there, just if nothing else happens, at that point you go like, okay, you get my vote. Now, when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write. And he said, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them down. So everything that goes on there, John isn't able to tell us. This is why Paul earlier had said, look, when we get there, we will know fully as we are fully known. There are still mysteries to behold. John's purpose in seeing this was the revelation of Jesus Christ. And yet there were still things that they said, no, 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 no. You got to see that, but don't tell anyone. (laughs) Isn't that cool? The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants the prophets. And the mystery of God being the small book he holds in his hand. Now you can see why I was making fun of our Western European angels. Good-looking young dudes wearing a sheet. No, John just saw an angel that put his foot in the middle of the Pacific Ocean and put the other one in the middle of Asia and began to preach. This is amazing stuff, brothers and sisters. And when you get to heaven, you get to see it all. How many, it just makes you a little more in a hurry? Like, that's cool. There's nothing down here I need to check out before I check out. I'm going to check out. This is good stuff. Like I told you, I wanted to make sure you saw this with your own eyes so you don't think Pentecostal preachers have been making it up forever. Revelations 20, verse 1. For all this fight and all this war and all this stuff and everything that's been going on, he says, I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, And bound him for a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. Everybody just say he's God's devil. Never think he's running the show. 
No, he's running around on borrowed time. Like a convict on earthly release. Running around, breaking the laws, causing trouble. Really feeling pretty arrogant about the whole situation. And one angel is sitting in heaven polishing a chain. And here he is raging all over the place. I'm going to get you. And there's one angel just with a, with a rag just, and some silver polish. Just, yeah, just keep talking. Whatever. Whatever. Maybe they even have conversations. I, I have an imagination like that. Maybe the guy polishing the chain turns to the other one and goes, isn't he just sad? He's been sad ever since the boss hit him in the head. Like, he's just not right. <laughs> Running around, raging. One guy's assignment is to chain him up and throw him in a pit. And I love the fact that it included on there, cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up. How many are looking forward to the day when Lucifer is finally just shut up? No more lies, no more deceit, no more bombarding your mind with garbage. He's just in a pit. One angel standing over the gate and going like, I did that. And you can thank me later. It's pretty good stuff. See, there's a whole realm of this happening around us all the time. And we're just not aware most of the time. Occasionally, God gives us little, maybe little insights, maybe little encounters. People tell cool stories about maybe seeing an angel here or there, or something that happened. Just little tiny glimpses. I was having prayer one time in our downstairs bedroom at our home in Florida, with a little townhouse we rented, late, late, probably more like early morning, one or two in the morning. And the Holy Spirit opened my eyes to just some of the spiritual realm around the house. And one of the things that amazed me was there was hordes of little demons, but they were like looking at me through like a glass barrier. Like they were watching me, but they couldn't get to me. And I, I was amazed by that. And I was thanking God for his protection and thanking Lord for his goodness. And, and you know, I did that thing that we do when we're praying. I quoted his word back to him, you know, because he might have forgot it. And so I said, I thank you that you give our, your angels charge over us to keep us in all of our ways. And all of a sudden, there was a presence in that room that melted me to the carpet. I couldn't even look up. And all I could think was, Buck, if that's you, <laughs> just step back a couple steps so that I can stop inhaling this nylon cheap renter's carpet because stuff has happened in here. It's a rental. You know, I mean, just melted me into the ground, a presence so heavy, so glorious, so amazing that at first, my first thought was, Jesus is here. And the next day praying about it, he went, no. No, that's just the angel I gave charge over you. And it had melted me into the ground, just the weight of his presence. Why? Gabriel explains it when he's talking to John's dad. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of the Lord. And I've come here to tell you this. 
They carry a power and a glory that's bewildering to anything we understand in our humanity, and they're all on your side. We all know the story in the Old Testament where Elisha's servant got all bummed out. They're going to kill us. And Elisha's prayer was so simple. Lord, just open his eyes. And he goes outside and cries out, there's more with us than there is with them. For he saw an army, flaming horses and chariots surrounding the entire city to keep one man safe. For Elisha was the prophet of God. And you don't get to kill a prophet till God's done with them. That's the rules. You're serving the biggest guy on campus. So it's not up to hell what happens to you. You're surrounded. I want to show you one last verse because I think it matters and we're done. Revelations 22 and verse 8. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And he said to me, (laughs) see that you do not do that. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? Hey, boy, no, 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 get up. But look what he said. For I am your fellow servant and of your brethren the prophets and of those who keep the words of this book. So worship God. Isn't that awesome? For all the glory of it till John is like, it's, I should be worshiping you right now. What an amazing moment for a guardian angel of God to be like, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Get up. I'm just your fellow servant. We worship God. That is so powerful, man. So powerful. So don't be a Protestant. Don't be afraid to know about your angel. Don't worship him. Don't look for him in your soup. Don't try to figure out how he was arranged in your salad leaves, all of that weird stuff. But there's nothing wrong with getting up in the morning and going, God, you are good. Thank you that there's more with me than there is against me. And thank you, Lord, for guardians I can't even see. But I know they must be there or hell would have swallowed me a long time ago. And thank you, Lord. And if you want to let me see some, that'd be cool. If not, that's fine, because I'll see them all soon enough. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And we're going to look around stunned at an angelic realm of activity that defies all the stuff that we think about. We only ever get to catch glimpses. Thanks again for stopping by. If you'd like any more info about us, feel free to swing by wellsprings.church. Have a blessed day.